Welcome to the Church Intention Podcast, powered by the King's University and Gateway Church. This is a place to have healthy conversations about areas of tension in the church and the intentions of the church. To dive deeper into the conversation and for more content, visit churchintention.com. Now let's join the King's University president, Dr. John Chastine, for this episode of Church Intention. Well, thanks for joining us again on the Church Intention Podcast. This is a podcast where we look at the church and we look at the intentions of the church, yes, but we also look at the church in tension. And today I have a guest with me that I'm really excited about. Uh, Steve Cuss uh, is a lead pastor at Discovery Christian Church in Broomfield, Colorado, suffering for Jesus up there in Colorado. Uh, (laughs) He's also the author of Managing Leadership Anxiety, and I'm really excited to talk about that today. Uh, Book came out last year. He also has a podcast of his own uh, that I highly encourage you to uh, check out. It's also called Managing Leadership Anxiety. And Steve has served as a pastor. He's been a hospital chaplain. Uh, he helps leaders struggle with anxiety. And Steve, you and I have been talking. Uh, we met you know, a couple months ago, and we've been chatting back and forth. And I've just been fascinated with uh, what your ministry is doing. And I think the timeliness of your book coming out is so important. And I'm just excited to jump into this, Steve. Uh, before we do, um, tell me how you got interested in this topic. Like, why anxiety? Why is this something that you wrote a book on? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, John. Great to be with you. Um, it's so funny. Uh, in many ways, I think, man, I'm the least likely person to talk about anxiety because uh-huh. I'm an uh, Aussie, West Australian, and we don't generally admit we have anxiety as Aussies. <laughs> we We actually... If any of your audience knows Australians, we, we actually work quite hard to look relaxed. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I ran headlong into leadership anxiety when I was a hospital chaplain. And that's what got me fascinated in it. Just this idea, uh, you know, anxiety is such a, a huge word, but the, the only aspect of it I really help people with is what's clinically known as chronic anxiety, hmm. which is always generated on false belief or false need. So, you know, like PTSD is a real form of anxiety that's actually based on a real traumatic event. But chronic anxiety is always false need and false belief. And and I think I was fascinated that the gospel has a lot to say about that. Uh, You know, in the Bible, I I think sometimes the Bible uses terms like idol. Um, And then in the New Testament, I think we're invited to die to it. So I got really interested at a young age, but but yeah, man, where, where I ran headlong into it was as a chaplain. Um, when I had my ministry training and I came from a sales background, and suddenly I'm in rooms with people who are grieving or who uh, are processing the worst news of their life. Wow. And all of my kind of theology and, and my sales w- was all bankrupt in the face of these people's pain. And I started to notice myself getting anxious because um, I always need to know what to do or um, I need to have an answer for somebody. And those are just a couple of quick evidences of when someone's anxious. So, so yeah, I've been interested in it for about 20 years. Uh, it's based on what's called family systems theory. So I did a bunch of study in that. And, uh, yeah, I've been chasing it ever since. Man, you said so much there that I that I want to unpack. I'm sitting here writing notes like crazy already, and and I, I love that you differenti- differentiated um, different types of anxiety. I think that's really important to talk about. So, the the PTSD versus this chronic anxiety. 
Um, how does how does a leader notice or differentiate the two? Is there a way that you differentiate that within yourself or with within others around you? Like, how, I know you define kind of what that difference is, but how do you self identify the difference? If that makes yeah, sense, yeah, it's a great it's a great question. It's actually a, a really important question because there's there's five basic forms of anxiety, and I won't go into them all, but I'll just name them. Like grief is different than chronic anxiety. PTSD we've covered. There's Generalized anxiety disorder. The the two that are really interesting for us is acute anxiety and chronic anxiety. Hmm. So acute anxiety is when you're actually in danger. The easiest example I know is you're driving down the interstate, somebody in front of you slams on the brakes, and you think you're going to run into them, hmm. and you have like this physiological reaction, right? Your your heart races. You you might even let out a gasp. So acute anxiety is actual life threatening or dangerous. And it's always short-term, like stopping on an interstate. Mm-hmm. But you're always able to calm yourself afterwards. Chronic anxiety is not short-term. It's always constant. It's long-term. And it's not actual danger. It's perceived danger. You think wow. you're in danger. And work is really crazy for a leader or a parent is your body can't distinguish between acute anxiety and chronic anxiety unless you train it. Mm. So... So many leaders I know burn out, not because they've got too much to do, but because they haven't addressed the chronic anxiety they're carrying. That's really good. I feel like in my case, um, I I believe the lie. Like if chronic anxiety is based on false belief, mm-hmm. one of the many lies I naturally believe is I need to have the answer. Um, and it's based on a whole lot of things. I like to be a, I like to be helpful to people. I like to be seen as smart. There's all kinds of reasons. Yep. yep. But it's very hard for me to say to somebody, I don't know. Hmm. And so if somebody asks me something and I don't know the answer, or even worse, if I'm caught unprepared, like even on this podcast, we may witness it. You may ask me something and I'm unprepared. Hmm. I'll actually start to get anxious. Hmm. Um, I don't know that I would have a question for you like that, but. (laughs) Oh, well, let's find out. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. The chronic anxiety is what shows up after we don't get what we believe we need. Hmm. Um, and this is why we tend to exaggerate in our preaching or wow. you know, when we tend to uh, maybe get really discouraged if somebody doesn't laugh or if we think someone doesn't like us. So like a lot of pastors, you know, we're, we struggle with people-pleasing. And so you can't, true. You, you can't be an apostolic leader and a people-pleaser wow. like those two are at odds. So, That'll make you anxious. So that's, that, that's really kind of good. just a way of fleshing it out. So so what's happening chemically? You know, the acute, you know, a deer jumps out in front of your car, you slam on the brakes, you get this rush of, I believe the chemical that's being released is cortisol. You would know better yeah. than me. So so we all obviously know that that's a chemical that's released in the moment. When you're when you're dealing with chronic anxiety, is it the same chemical is it is it cortisol it's just being done slowly over time like chem- chemically what is happening in our bodies no that's a good question you actually just asked me a question that i'm not qualified to answer <laughs> you're not uh, being anxious are you <laughs> you know I, I am so here's actually what's interesting is is i think we always believe that like yoda from star wars is the or, or the dalai lama is like the destination we're all trying to head yeah, for yeah yeah Actually, all we're trying to head for is managing your anxiety. You you and I will always fight anxiety. Mm. But even as you're asking the question, 
you know, I've been doing this work 20 years, so I'm pretty nimble. I'm thinking to myself, oh, I, I, I could just agree with John. <laughs> and then I think, wait a minute. I, I might be wrong. Know, <laughs> well, and I actually don't know what I'm talking about as it relates to the, the details of mm-hmm. chemistry. Yep. Uh, so what I'm going to do instead is say, hey, I don't know. And I'm going to actually, mm. because of the gospel of Jesus, I'm going to be free of needing to That's know so the good. That's so yeah. good. And it's, it's, it's that what simple, I, right? I don't know. It really is, yeah. <laughs> now, what I do know is, is in leaders, anxiety usually shows up in one of three places. So I can't speak to chemistry, but I can speak to, like, location. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a spinning mind for some leaders. You just start thinking harder or worrying more, mm-hmm. like, of your listeners. If they're going into a situation they're anxious about, they'll actually preempt every possible scenario, kind of like choose your own adventure. Play it out. And and they think they're just planning, but they're actually anxious. Hmm. It, it's going to be very difficult for them to just actually walk by faith because they're walking by incessant planning. Um, for other leaders, uh, it's a racing heart. It's, it's like you've had 10 cups of caffeine. And then for other leaders, it's like a tightening body, either a nauseous feeling in your stomach or uh, like clenched shoulders. So what I train leaders to do is to try to name where it starts with them. Because most leaders, you know, we're pretty entrepreneurial. We're pretty others-driven. We're actually often the last one in the room to know when we're anxious. Wow. So if you can begin to notice it, you can then overcome it. And if, if your listeners are thinking, man, I actually either don't think I'm an anxious person or I don't know when I'm anxious, then all they have to do is ask someone that loves them and your loved ones will tell you. Yes. They typically know when you're anxious before you do. That's so good. They, they, yeah, they look at you from afar and they see it every day. So you, you referenced yeah. when you were a, a chaplain, you know, and being in a room full of people that are looking for answers and you don't have answers or they're looking for something that you may don't, maybe don't feel like you have to give. I think that hits a, big nerve for pastors because uh, yeah. you kind of hit it on the head. We have this, well, I'm a pastor, right? I have this apostolic anointing. I have this gifting. And when we don't have the answers, but what about, can we actually take on the anxiety of others? Um, if somebody on our team or somebody that we're trying to minister to, do you ever see that at play where we can actually kind of receive or take on someone else's anxiety? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, half of my book is about your anxiety and then the other half is about their anxiety. Wow. Um, if, if, if you just imagine that we're all carrying a bucket, maybe we don't even know we're carrying this bucket, and it's almost full of chronic anxiety most of the time, then when someone's anxious, it's like they're erupting like a volcano and they're just trying to dump their bucket. Hmm. And so we, we do end up tending to catch each other's anxiety. Hmm. Um so every one of us can kind of look at our teams, those of us who work on a church staff. And we can all probably think of a time, even in the last few weeks, where the whole room caught the most anxious person's anxiety. Hmm. Um, so it's highly contagious. And then the good that's, that's where my training gets really fun, is the good news is a calm leader, a leader that's practicing calm presence, can massively de-escalate anxiety. Wow. Um, and the beauty of calm presence is that doesn't mean that you're not anxious. Again, it's not like you're Yoda. Mm-hmm. It, all it means is you are stopping your anxiety from spilling over into others, and yeah. you're learning to stop catching their anxiety. You actually become immune 
to catching other people's anxiety. So you can, because what happens is when anxiety has you in its grip, you stop seeing what's actually true mm. um, and you start believing a lie. You start seeing things that aren't true. You start projecting onto people. You start filling in gaps pathologically about people. But if you're aware of that, you can die to it and actually step into what's really going on. And that that was what I had to learn to do as a chaplain is, you know, after after being in, you know, a dozen deaths or so, you start getting afraid of death. Wow. And uh or you start getting afraid that a loved one's gonna die. Yeah. And if you're not aware of that, you're gonna carry that fear into that room and you're not actually gonna be present to those people because you're too busy being in the grip of your own fear. So that, that life and death's obviously pretty drastic, but that's that's oh, the way good. I made that if someone asks you a question I'll, or yeah. No, I was just going to say, I love that you've tied this topic to leadership. I think it's it's so important because it does affect not only the way we lead, but it affects everyone around us. And yeah. speaking, obviously, our audience is a, is, is a lot of pastors. And um, my team found a study here that was done by the, the Duke Divinity School. This study was done all the way back in 2008. Now, think about what all has changed in our world uh, in the past 12 years. But even in 2008, this study found that clergy members tend to experience anxiety at a rate twice the at a at a rate of twice the national average. That's and I right. you know, I don't know if that's oh, you're affirming that. So I guess that is true. So, but now I'm even thinking about think about what all has happened since 2008. Think about what's just happened this year alone. And so, yeah. why are pastors so much more susceptible to that, would you say? I, I do think we have an impossible job description. I think it's the, I, I genuinely believe that it's the only job description in the world that requires faith to accomplish it. Mm, like, that's so good. So there's just, there's the breadth of it. There's there's the never ending nature of it. Like a lot of people have a never ending job. School teachers are like that, but pastors, we, we never go home and say, well, that's done, you know? Mm. And then because God's our boss, I think we, on an identity level, we so grapple with mm. being God's child versus being God's employee. I think that leads to a lot of anxiety for yeah, a lot of us. Yeah. Uh, I think most pastors I know are profoundly passionate human beings. We, like our, our love for God is genuine. We got into this because we love God right. and we love God's people and we love telling people about God. So, And I think passion makes our, our work so much more personal. So mm. my early years of ministry, I took every criticism so profoundly personally because I, I really couldn't differentiate between my work and my identity. Um, mm. And I, you know, I don't think that's a bad thing. I think it just is, it comes with the territory. Yeah. So it's, uh, and then people project onto us expectations that not a single one of us can, can live up to. So there's a, there's a lot of complex reasons why, why pastors carry a lot of anxiety. I'll tell you this, John. We are one of the highest life insurance rates in the country. Wow. If you ask your local life insurance rep, we're in, I believe it's, I haven't checked it in a while. I believe it's the top five most expensive life insurance. Wow. I did not even know yeah. that. Yeah. Wow. Do you, do you, you've been, Steve, how long have you been pastoring now? I've been about 25 years. 25 years. Okay. So you got yeah, really good, and, you got really good perspective. No, you're good. You got really good. Yeah, fifteen in the in the lead chair okay. and ten in an associate or some other chair. So, have yeah. you seen it change? Like, what have you seen change? Do you think there's 
more anxiousness today than there was when you got into the ministry? Have you, have you sensed a change in that? That's a great question. I think it has increased a lot. I mean, I think specifically like in this seven months of COVID, um, I I think it's changed because we are in an ambiguous situation and anytime you're in ambiguity, you're going to be anxious. Uh, Some of the work I do is I simply help leaders identify the environments they're in that generate anxiety. Hmm. And one of the environments is ambiguity. Um, Another environment is scarcity. So if like, if a, if a pastor is now dealing with like a waning budget, uh, you've got you've got ambiguity and scarcity. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of dynamics going on. Compounds. I, I think when we were younger, uh, I, I think we felt less pressure to grow our churches. I, I do think the young pastor today. This is really important. To, yes, please talk about this. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think we want to plant a church. So good. We want it to explode. Then we want catalyst to call us mm-hmm. so we can stand on the catalyst stage and say, it wasn't me, it was God. Like, we all kind of want so true. Su- success. So I think that's a lot of pressure we're facing. So we read Eugene Peterson and we read Henry Nowen, but we actually want to be that and also big and growing. Yeah, so th- this I is think, something yeah. that I'm really passionate about, Steve, and I'm so glad you talked about it. But you know, we've talked about it on the podcast many, many times that— that the, it's like the definition of success has changed uh, for yeah. a pastor. And I'm not sure who's to blame, and I'm not saying who's to blame. I don't I don't know that there's a specific person or organization or entity that's to blame uh, for that. But I do think that it plays a huge part in creating this anxiousness because it's a false expectation. It's like what you were saying. We put yeah. this false expectation, and when we don't meet that expectation, it causes my— I begin to feel like a failure. Now I'm coming into agreement with a lie, which causes an anxiousness. And we see the rate of suicide, even amongst pastors, you know, increasing and all of these just devastating things. And it seems like every time we turn on the news, we see another pastor, you know, fails or falls or has a moral failure, has makes a massive mistake. And so let me ask you this, you know, is there kind of a cycle that you see in anxiety or I'm trying to think of a better way to explain that? Is there, if, if you could look at certain people who have kind of fallen or messed up and we all do, we're not throwing people under the bus, but is there a series or a progress, a progressiveness? Do you, do you see what I'm saying? Is there a progress to me going, well, I'm just, yeah, I'm a little bit anxious to falling off the rails. What does that look yeah. like as it progresses? Yeah. A really important question. I'll tell you this there's a gospel to anxiety. And so I, I think the cycle is laid out in Romans chapter six, where Paul warns us to be careful what we give ourselves to, because whatever we give ourselves to will consume us or take us over. And in Romans six, Paul's contrasting sin with God. If if you just put the word anxiety in where Paul writes about sin. I'm not mm. I'm not suggesting that chronic anxiety is a sin. I actually don't believe it is. Sure. All, all I'm interested in is it acts the same way where it it grabs you and then it drags you down a dark path mm. of doom. So I do think there's a progression that the more you give into it, the more it gets a hold of you. Mm. And that's one of the signs when I'm working with leaders trying to help them figure out what level of anxiety they're in. One of the signs is um, 
the more you give yourself to it, it's like drinking salt water. It's, yeah. You're never at peace. You're never feeling free. Wow. So in the early days when you're in anxiety's grip, it's like a, a nagging feeling. But it definitely at some point takes you and drags you along, almost like a moth to a flame. And that's why I, I really believe the gospel is actually the, the pastor's best tool to displace mm. anxiety and actually experience the peace and freedom of Christ. Like in my case, my anxiety first shows up in my mind and I've never yet worried my way to peace. That's so true. But if I don't intentionally intervene with the gospel, I'll just keep worrying. Mm-hmm. Even though I'm 48 years of age, I've never worried my way to peace, but that's the power of the gospel of anxiety right. is it's always trying to convince us to depend on it wow. instead of depend on Christ. So I do think there's some stages. Um, one of the most obvious signs that I help people notice is when they stop noticing that God is with them. Hmm. That's usually when you know you're in anxiety's grip. Wow. If, if you start to believe it's all on my shoulders um, or, or I'm, the only solution is I must work harder, I must be smarter, I need to be a different person. I, I, I. Yeah. But if you, and this is what I learned as a chaplain. It's like, wait a minute. No, actually, God is right with me, hmm. but I, I, I'm no longer able to notice. So John, John says in First John, you know, perfect love casts out fear. Mm-hmm. I, I think the love of God, the presence of God displaces anxiety. And, and therefore, I think it's the opposite is true, that anxiety, it doesn't displace the love of God. It displaces our ability to recognize the love of God. That's so good. That's so really, yeah, that's that, so that would good. be something people could really measure. So you you know you said right off the bat there, referring back to to that Romans six passage that be careful what we give ourselves to, yeah. And you know I, I pastor a church t- still, so my mind starts flashing immediately to what we give ourselves. I know when I first took over the church that I'm pastoring, um, you know we we get these reports every week. You know all pastors do. We get the offering report, attendance report, all these things. And I I went through a season of my life where I had to stop getting the attendance reports because I was, to use your vocabulary, I was giving myself to that. And then I began to find my identity in the ups and downs of church attendance, and it would begin to cause anxiety in me. Yeah. And so so I think social media is a huge one for pastors. Yeah. Uh, We compare ourselves to one another. We see, you know— um, I, you know, our church gets two salvations and then we pull up our favorite pastor and they had 14,000 salvations and we compare. And, yeah. and so what are some of those other things that pastors might give themselves to um, that might be the culprit? And maybe a pastor doesn't even realize that's listening right now that, yes, wow, I need to analyze what I'm giving myself to. What what would be some of those other things you think? Yeah. Um, so So what, what we try to help a pastor to do is, is name what they think they need that they don't really need. And some people know right away, and for some people it takes some time and some prayer. But And then we try to get really specific. So I like talk about being a people pleaser or look, wanting to look intelligent. Um, one of the things that I identified in my life is is I need every sermon I ever preach to be the best sermon I've ever heard. Mm. And it takes some time to get from that first generalized, people-pleasing, looking smart, down to something that concrete. But what you'll learn to notice is you're normally using superlatives and exaggerations 
or absolute. So every person always best yeah. sermon ever. Those are kind of those trigger words. Yep. That's when you know you're anxious because when I like when I say that to you, you're sitting there saying, "No one can do that. No one can preach the best sermon every week, every right. time." Right. Uh, once you identify that, the next step is to see if you can start to notice the impact on you and on the people you love when you're giving yourself to that need. Hmm. Um, and so I'll, I'll give maybe an easier example. In the early days of that church, we were real small. We had like 140-something people. We needed everybody. And as we started growing, a guy left, and as he left, he called the elders and he said, Steve's not as available as he used to be. And I foolishly took that to mean I must do more to make him happy. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't have worded it that way at the time, but so so what did I do next? I reached out to him and set up a series of lunches with this guy. Well, that's obviously not sustainable. Yeah. So then after a couple of lunches, he came back to church. Then I can't have those many lunches with all those people, so I stopped doing it. <laughs> yeah. So he just got madder. He's mad again. And then yeah. told more people. Yeah. So I call that lunching people back to church. Like what I would do is I would try to lunch them back to church. So when you get real clear on, okay, what am I living for that's not the gospel? And we're all living for dozens of things. I just want to give people a break. Like if if people are feeling terrible about themselves right now, I still live for things that aren't the gospel. Mm. But what am I living for? And then what am I doing that's making it worse? Okay, I'm lunching people back to church. And then, <laughs> John, where it gets rough, and this is where my students kind of fight me. The only solution is to bravely practice the opposite. Oh, so you're getting in my business, so, Steve, because that's something that you know we all feel guilty of. We get the one congregant who says one thing, and then we swing the pendulum all the way to the other side to try to, you know, combat that that anxious feeling that we're feeling. So this is this is so good. Yeah. So bravely practicing. Uh, like if, if I'm, I'll give you two examples and I've done, I've I've done both of these and they were brave. Um, if I am beholden to needing every sermon to be amazing, Mm -hmm. the opposite is to get up and intentionally preach a bad sermon (laughs) and not tell anybody. (laughs) So I did that in 20, I think it was 2011. (laughs) I preached a sermon where the story didn't really make sense. And I made sure the points like, did you really? Oh yeah. Yeah. No, this is a real thing. I said them like they were profound, but they just weren't profound. Like I even said them in like a profound voice. Um, couldn't tell anybody. You have and an Aussie accent. Everything you say is a profound voice. This, this, I'm telling you, John, this was a bad sermon. <laughs> but what, what happens is it starts to uncover all the beliefs you have and all the pressure you're carrying that aren't true. So mm. I believe if I wasn't always gold standard, people wouldn't keep coming back. And the next week people can they come back. Uh, I believe, you know, that my well-being is tied deeply to my performance, all of that stuff. So then the lunching people back to to church, I started practicing. If if what I was doing before is chasing people, I'm actually going to ignore people when they speak. Wow. And that might sound terrible to some people, but I just learned the hard way that chasing them back only makes it worse. And if they don't have the respect to simply meet with me and tell me to my face, me, who's a very approachable person, and will meet with anybody anytime, mm. then I don't need to be chasing them. Wow. Uh, and then the third thing I practice is sometimes I'll tell people I don't know the answer when I actually know, because I love to know the answer. So I'm, that's something I still practice. I'll often be in a meeting, mm. 
and especially as I'm developing our leaders and I'm the lead pastor and I kind of, mm-hmm. because I'm, I'm the top of the hierarchy, my voice carries more weight. Yep. It's getting more and more important for me to stop giving answers. Mm, so that that's so good. Can, yeah. So that would be an example of brave practice. So on a podcast, it's tricky to track, but basically you try to name the source of your anxiety. You try to list actually in writing the impact. What are you doing to make it worse? And then you try to do the opposite. Um, and boy, John, I have so much fun when I'm coaching people. Mm. The, the week they come back from their brave practice, it's so much fun as people talk about how it went and what they did. Uh, it's, it's been really great. Yeah, like I expected you to say, you know, do the opposite. Well, social media is bad. Do the opposite. Don't get on social media. No, you're like, preach a bad sermon. Like that goes yeah. against everything. <laughs> that goes against everything in me. But I love yeah. that and how, how opposite you have to become to, you know, is it, is it, why is that, Steve? Why do I need to do that? Is it a shock factor? Is it a proving to myself that it was a lie, that I'd come into agreement with a lie? Like, why is it so important to do something so drastic? All right. So I learned this practice because I did marriage and family uh, systems, marriage and family therapy training, but I'm not a therapist. I'm, I'm a pastor. But in marriage and family therapy training, <laughs> they trained us. They're like, hey, when a couple comes in, yeah. your job is to not talk about what they're fighting about. Your job is to help them change the way they fight. So they might come in and talk about sex or money or raising the kids, but just focus on the way they fight. Who starts it? Who escalates it? Who starts calling names? Who needs space? And the way I was trained is they said that pattern, the way they fight, is predictable. They fight about different topics, but they always fight the same way. So I took that. And I thought, wow, that's, and then, and there's an actual science to this called Second Order Change. And I, I write about it in chapter six of my book, I think it's in. Okay. So I took that and I thought, oh, this is too fun. And so what they would teach us to do is if a couple came in fighting, you would actually say to them, okay, I'm going to prescribe a fight. This coming Tuesday night at 6 p.m., I want you guys <laughs> to fight. And then come in and tell me how it went. That's awesome. And th- they'll come in the next week and, and I'll be like, all right, how'd the fight go? And they'll say, well, we couldn't do it. It was, that was the dumbest homework ever. Like we looked at each other, we just started laughing. And the reason it works is because when the couple comes in, they don't realize they're in the grip of anxiety. Mm. They're actually in the grip of a spiritual force that wow. has them in a predictable, repeatable pattern. I believe that is exactly what sin does. Wow. Sin tells us this time is going to be different. Sin tells us, why don't you hide and blame and it'll be fine. It, it, it's never true and we keep doing it. And then the gospel actually says you can be free from that craziness. Mm. And so when you make a couple fight at a scheduled time, instead of them being in the grip of fight, they now have fight in their control because mm. they've scheduled it. So, so when good. I'm in the grip of gold standard sermons, yeah. but then I hack the system by intentionally preaching a doozy, like a yeah. boring sermon, anxiety is like, Ooh. I don't know what to do with that. Like it, <laughs> it, it, you know, it just it loosens you on the grip. And the really crazy part is I'm I'm as passionate as ever about being a strong communicator. Yeah, it's not that I'm now a lazy preacher. It's just that I'm no longer in the tyranny in the of having of to reach a standard I can't reach. So you didn't even. I'm still just blown away by this, Steve. 
So at the end of the sermon, you didn't say, gotcha. I did that on purpose. You literally no, walked you off the stage like you preached yeah. a rock star sermon. It, it's even worse than that, John. People <laughs> came up afterwards and complimented. <laughs> and and I had to say thank you. Like, you can't. So a few weeks ago, actually, sorry, last year, uh, we, we teach all this in our church to our leaders. And we have college interns, and they'll come and do a year with us, and we put them through my class. And so the, the, the second ever session, this college kid, great kid, and he uncovers his need to always get it right, whatever it is. He believes why he has to get it right the first time every time. Mm. He's a perfectionist, and it's and it's connected to punishment for him and the way he was raised. And so, so uh, we we kind of dug in and we said, "Hey, do you want to try some what we call brave practice?" And the, his boss had tasked him with ordering the meat for the volunteer banquet. Mm-hmm. And I am his boss's boss, right? Because I'm the lead pastor. Mm-hmm. And I said, "Okay." You have to order three times as much meat as you need. You have to waste church money. And then when your boss tells you off, you just have to take it. Right. Wow. And then we'll meet him and tell me how it went. Mm. And, and, but he can't say to his boss, Your boss told me Jen, to do this. Yeah. <laughs> he can't. He can't say to Jen, Hey, Steve's got me doing this crazy jujitsu stuff. Wow. He just had to do it. So we, and my favorite part, John, is like, I come into work one morning and there's an all staff email from, from Jen his boss. And she's like, Hey, we have leftovers. If any of the stuff that's in the fridge, help yourself. And I was like, I bet you do have leftovers. You said you're welcome. <laughs> yeah. And so we met with Corey, this young guy's name is Corey. We're like, how did it go? And he said, it was really disappointing. Hmm. I was actually looking forward to her telling me off and she just, she was fine with it. Wow. But this is what anxiety does is Corey so had true. already projected onto Jen hmm. that she's a harsh taskmaster when she's actually not. And so he had assumed that all this pressure to get the ordering right because Jen's harsh. Hmm. And that's what anxiety does. It actually gives you a message or a gospel that's false. So when Jen didn't even blink an eye, Jen literally says to him, hey, no problem. You're young. You've never done this before. Hmm. And now this is great because we've got free food for this hardworking staff and it's fun that we get to help them. That's who Jen actually is. Yeah. And he got to see more of who his boss really is, and he got to die a little bit more to this thing that has him in his grip. In, in his grip. I love this. I'm going to have to really process through that even for myself. Um, that's speaking to me in a lot of ways. So really, I really appreciate you sharing that. Um, one other quick thing, you know, you've obviously met with hundreds of pastors, you know, counseled, processed with, seen things in, pastor after pastor after pastor. What is a common thread that you would say that you see in most, if not all, pastors when it comes to anxiety? I, I think, I've, John, I first want to say the common, th- like, like pastors are getting really creamed right now. There's, yeah. there's, there's too many famous pastors that are falling publicly. Yeah. yeah. My experience is pastors are phenomenal. I mean, I'm one, so I guess I have self-interest. You're one. Mm-hmm. I think they're, they're phenomenal, with, too. <laughs> yeah, I, and I meet, man, I meet with that diverse group, like megachurch pastors and, and very small, like high church pastors, mainline. As a, as a species, I find pastors to be genuine, human being, passionate. Um, I, I would say the most common thread is we are not good at self-care. Mm-hmm. 
we believe that the command to love God and love others is only uh, fulfilled by emptying ourselves. Wow. And when we think of filling, like filling ourselves up and loving out of the overflow, we somehow believe that that's not good. So like when you go on the airplane and the flight attendant says that you first put the oxygen mask on your own face mm-hmm. in order to help someone else. Yep. I don't think pastors believe that's true. Mm. So the common thread I find with pastors is when we're getting worn down, we feel guilty about resting or enjoying life or reaching out for help. Mm. We're often the last to actually say to somebody, I need help. That would be my overall experience. Mm. That's so good. You're again. You're hitting. You're hitting it between the eyes. So on that same topic, why is or is you go 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 along uh, right along with it? Talk about Sabbath. You know why is Sabbath so important for pastors? Oh man, I love talking about Sabbath. I think Sabbath is important for pastors because I think when we think of Sabbath, we first think of rest. But I think Sabbath, as it was set up in Genesis first about control before it's about rest. Mm. It's first about God's people letting go of control for 24 hours, not harvesting for 24 hours, not earning that seventh day of income where they needed it, mm. and and remembering that God is in control. I actually think Sabbath is mostly about the sovereignty of God, mm. and I think that's why pastors struggle with it, not because they struggle to rest, but because it's very difficult for us to believe that God is actually a primary agent in our churches. I wow. think we fundamentally believe by default that we are the primary agent. And wow. I don't think that's an ego thing. I don't think most pastors I meet don't think they're all that. Yeah. They just feel very responsible. They feel the pressure. Yep. Yeah. Yep. We just put out, we just, we're very earnest, you yeah. know, and yeah. because we're dealing with eternity, like who has, t- who has time to take a break from that? Right. We're saving people. We, Right, right. There's always one more. And, yeah. you know, how many, John, how many times have you heard people say, if only one heard it, it's worth it? I, right. I would simply say, not always. Wow. That's really <laughs> the, the good. The cost may not have been worth that one person. That's so good. Be- or the idea that God can't reach that one person through another person or another event. That's the fallacy. I think that's such a good perspective, you know, on Sabbath. We always hear it as rest, and it is rest. But you're so right. It's so much about control. And what we're saying is, um, if I don't do this, God can't do it, right? We're, yeah. it's, it's it's pride. It's it's if you really want to boil it down, it's it's pride. It's, We're prideful. It's probably it's probably pride, but most lead, most pastors I know have a fairly hefty inner critic. Mm-hmm. So I, I it doesn't manifest as like boasting. Pride. No, 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 not at all. Not at all. Yeah. No, it's not a boastful pride. It's a it's a uh, it's like a false pride. It's like a um, if you peeled the layer of the onion all the way down to its core, it's pride. But it's not a like you're saying. It's not a boastful in in any way. So um, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead. I'll just say this before we move on. It, once we get control figured out with Sabbath, then we're free to rest. That to me mm. is the order. Like let go of control, and then you can enter into God's rest. Mm. Yeah, you can't get you can't do it the other way. No. Okay, so some pastors listening um, are obviously, I have no doubt, dealing with anxiety. And in just a few moments, I'm going to have you kind of, you know, even tell our listeners about what you could do and what uh, products and services you offer on your end. But before I do that, um, 
Where do they begin? Where does a pastor even start, Steve? If if this podcast is hitting pastors between the eyes, like I know it is, because it's hitting me between the eyes. Like, what is a good first step? Like, what do I need to do with myself? Yeah, the best first step I know is to find at least one other person, mm-hmm. and ideally to be maybe two or three other people. Yeah, and just form a discussion group mm-hmm. on whatever time works for you. If you can do it in person, it's better, but it doesn't have to be in person. You can do it over Zoom. And just have these conversations together. Yeah. The, the crazy thing about anxiety is it's such an internal process to us that all you really need is a, is a trusted, loving community where you can externalize it, get it out. And I, I'm telling you, man, like I've been doing this for 20 years. Getting it out and naming it the way you and I have been doing yeah. is 50% of the battle. Wow. There's some really sophisticated tools I teach, genograms and verbatims and childhood tells. Like We go really deep, but just getting the first step you can do is get a group of two or three brothers or brothers and sisters, Mm -hmm. sit down and almost like a 12-step group say, hey, I'm an anxious person Mm. and I would like us to all take turns and see if we can figure out what makes us all anxious. And the moment you name it, you've gotten power over it. Uh, In my opinion, this is part of what the Bible talks about with confession. Yeah. I think if we confess to each other, yeah. we're freed from it. You bring, so light, that would be yeah, the you bring light to it. Yeah, it's really good. Let me ask you this. I am I love words and breaking down words and the intentionality of words. And one of the first things I noticed about your book and your podcast that really sticks out to me, Steve, it's managing leadership anxiety. Why the word managing? Why, why not use the word alleviating or extinguishing or getting rid of I, I I'm really fascinated and and I agree with you first off I'm not I'm not challenging you I'm really interested in hearing you say why it's we manage leadership anxiety yeah I I, I wanted to be very careful what I promised yeah. I, I think too many books claim things that they can't live up to mm-hmm. so I don't believe we can ever be relieved of anxiety mm-hmm. I think the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is we can go from being managed by anxiety to managing it. Yeah. And I believe that's, that's actually good. the path of freedom and peace. So the, the last thing I'd want to say, John, is I've been doing this work a long time. Mm-hmm. And on any given week, I get a three and a half to four out of 10. That would be the grade. Like if, if 10 times I'm in anxiety's grip, yeah. three and a half to four is the amount of times I'm able to flip the power dynamic and really work with God and, and have the gospel. Hmm. The other six to seven times I'm, I'm still in anxiety's grip. Wow. So um, when I teach this, like we do an eight-month class at our church, and when I'm coaching people, I set for them a goal of one out of ten, hmm. and I say one out of ten is an A in my class. One out of ten. One out of ten, because you've spent your whole life— like. Wow. What the reason Christians don't change, in my opinion, this is my opinion, is because we don't address our chronic anxiety. Hmm. I actually believe in the Western Church. This is how Satan has us in its grip. Wow. Like if you go to Haiti or some developing nations, there's a more overt spiritual warfare. Mm-hmm. I think we think we're too smart for spiritual warfare because we have iPads and wow. internet. Yep. So I think Satan has just gotten more sophisticated, and it resides in our brain, in our mind the way we think, and I don't think most leaders realize how often we depend on self instead of on God. 
And so chronic anxiety becomes mm-hmm. the evidence we're depending on ourselves. Uh, and so one out of 10 is an A in the early days. Steve, this has been, we've done a lot of podcasts. We've had a lot of really, really great guests on, but this has been one of my favorite ones. I think it's so needed right now, and I can't wait for our listeners to hear this podcast. But I also know that there's some of our listeners that are, you know, pen in hand ready, trying to figure out how to get into contact with you, because I know that you you have resources for pastors and leaders uh, on this subject. And I already told my, our listeners, you you need to get the book. Uh, managing leadership anxiety. You need to go to his podcast. Uh, it's a really, really great podcast. I'm a regular listener of it. It's called Managing Leadership Anxiety. If somebody wants to go even deeper than that, Steve, what do they need to do? Yeah, so it's interesting you ask. I, I've been um, trying to figure out because I've done a few things. I do webinars. I do group coaching for pastors. If, if your listeners want to get a group of four or five people together, I'll meet with you for six or seven sessions. We do it over Zoom right now. Uh, that goes pretty well. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can just email me, steve at stevecusswords.com. So my last name, I just have fun with it. So stevecusswords.com is my website. You can just shoot me an email, steve at stevecusswords.com. And right now, I'll just deal with you directly. Awesome. And then I've got an assistant that manages schedule and stuff. But I, I am cooking up an online membership in 2021 because I've been trying to replicate my class that I teach in my church. I've been teaching this for almost 10 years at our church. And it's the best experience I offer because it's, it's these tools. Like we've covered a lot of ground today. Yeah. Everything we covered today, I would actually take a number of weeks in my class where we just drip them out a little at a time. We yeah. give people time to practice. We put them into cohorts. So 2021, I'm launching an online community. And I'm actually right now, when, when does this come out, John? When are you releasing that? Uh, we're recording this in October. It'll be this month. It'll be in October. Okay. Yeah, so in November, I'll release a beta yep. on my online community. It's going to be $22 a month. Wow. It uh, will be like the beta price. So if anyone wants to be part of the beta, I'm just going to limit it to about 50 to 80 people. Mm-hmm. I've already got like 40. I just started literally three days ago getting beta names. Wow. But if people want to be on that, be 22 bucks a month. They can cancel any time. But they'll basically be helping try on this, and they'll get a video every week from mm-hmm. me. They'll get a self-assessment every week. Some of the questions I've been asking on the podcast, they'll be in your inbox every week. But also an online community of fellow people. So I'm just trying to create shared language for people to be able to talk about this stuff. Yeah. There'll be uh, regular Zooms. I've got some facilitators that I've trained. They'll be on the Zoom where you can actually Zoom with facilitators. So if that's interesting to people, they could just email me and I'll put you on a beta list. And I'll be in touch in November when we're ready to launch. This is awesome. Steve, thank you for being on the podcast, but even more so, thank you for writing this book. Thank you for having this gifting and this this uh, passion for this. It's so needed uh, for our pastors. So we we just so appreciate you being on the podcast with us today, Steve. John, it's been it's been great to connect with you. I'm looking forward yeah. to uh, you know connecting with you more. I know I've got at least one thing coming up here. Yeah. But yeah, thanks so much for having me on. I really enjoy it. It's fun to talk. It's it's better to talk about than read about this. Stuff. Absolutely. So I enjoy this format. Well, we're looking forward to have, bringing you in here at the King's University and working with some of our staff. We're, we're looking forward to that. So uh, to our listeners out there, thank you again for listening. Um, give us a like. Give us a post. Um, uh, rate us on whatever platform you're listening to this on. Uh, give us a rating and a comment. We love you. We're praying for you. Uh, and we look forward to seeing you back here on the next episode. Thank you for listening to the Church Intention Podcast. 
For more information, visit churchintention.com. The King's University is an accredited, spirit-empowered evangelical university in Southlake, Texas. To learn more, visit tku.edu.